0: section nineteen of incidents of travel in central america chiapas and yucatan volume two by john lloyd stephens this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by sue anderson it was situated in a circular clearing about one hundred feet in diameter near the river with the forest around so thick with brush and underwood that the mules could not penetrate it and with no opening but for the passage of the road through it the rancho was merely a pitched roof covered with palm leaves and supported by four trunks of trees all around were heaps of snail shells and the ground of the rancho was several inches deep with ashes the remains of fires for cooking them we had hardly congratulated ourselves upon our arrival at such a beautiful spot, before we suffered such an onslaught of mosquitoes as we had not before experienced in the country. We made a fire, and with appetites sharpened by a hard day's work, sat down on the grass to dispose of a San Pedro fowl. But we were obliged to get up, and while one hand was occupied with eatables, Use the other to brush off the venomous insects. We soon saw that we had bad prospects for the night, lighted fires all around the rancho, and smoked inordinately. We were in no hurry to lie down, and sat till a late hour, consoling ourselves with the reflection that, but for the mosquitoes, our satisfaction would be beyond all bounds." The dark border of the clearing was lighted up by fireflies of extraordinary size and brilliancy, darting among the trees, not flashing and disappearing, but carrying a steady light, and, except that their course was serpentine, seeming like shooting stars. In different places there were two that remained stationary, emitting a pale but beautiful light, and seemed like rival bells holding levees. The fiery orbs darted from one to the other, and when one, more daring than the rest, approached too near, the coquette withdrew her light, and the flutterer went off. One, however, carried all before her, and at one time we counted seven hovering around her. At length we prepared for sleep hammocks would leave us exposed on every side to the merciless attacks of the mosquitoes and we spread our mats on the ground we did not undress Pauling with a great deal of trouble rigged his sheets into a mosquito net but it was so hot that he could not breathe under them and he roamed about or was in the river nearly all night THE INDIANS HAD OCCUPIED THEMSELVES IN CATCHING SNAILS AND COOKING THEM FOR SUPPER, AND THEN LAY DOWN TO SLEEP ON THE BANKS OF THE RIVER. BUT AT MIDNIGHT, WITH SHARP THUNDER AND LIGHTNING, THE RAIN BROKE IN A DELUGE, AND THEY ALL CAME UNDER THE SHED, AND THERE THEY LAY PERFECTLY NAKED, MECHANICALLY, AND WITHOUT SEEMING TO DISTURB THEMSELVES, SLAPPING THEIR BODIES WITH THEIR HANDS. The incessant hum and bite of the insects kept us in a constant state of wakefulness and irritation. Our bodies we could protect but with a covering over the face the heat was insufferable. Before daylight I walked to the river which was broad and shallow and stretched myself out on the gravelly bottom where the water was barely deep enough to run over my body it was the first comfortable moment i had had my heated body became cooled and i lay till daylight when i rose to dress they came upon me with appetites whetted by a spirit of vengeance our day's work had been tremendously hard but the night's was worse the morning air however was refreshing and as day dawned our tormentors disappeared Mr. Catherwood had suffered least, but in his restlessness he had lost from his finger a precious emerald ring, which he had worn for many years and prized for associations. We remained some time looking for it, and at length mounted and made our last start for Palenque. The road was level, but the woods were still as thick as on the mountain. At a quarter before eleven we reached a path, which led to the ruins or somewhere else. We had abandoned the intention of going directly to the ruins, for besides that we were in a shattered condition, we could not communicate at all with our Indians, and probably they did not know where the ruins were. At length we came out upon an open plain and looked back at the range we had crossed, running off to Petén and the country of Unbaptized indians as we advanced we came into a region of fine pasture grounds and saw herds of cattle the grass showed the effects of early rains and the picturesque appearance of the country reminded me of many a scene at home but there was a tree of singular beauty that was a stranger having a high naked trunk and spreading top with leaves of vivid green covered with yellow flowers continuing carelessly and stopping from time to time to enjoy the smiling view around and realize our escape from the dark mountains behind we rose upon a slight table of land and saw the village before us consisting of one grass-grown street unbroken even by a mule path with a few straggling white houses on each side, on a slight elevation at the further end a thatched church with a rude cross and belfry before it. A boy could roll on the grass from the church door out of the village. In fact, it was the most dead and alive place I ever saw, but coming from villages thronged with wild Indians, its air of repose was most grateful to us in the suburbs were scattered indian huts and as we rode into the street eight or ten white people men and women came out more than we had seen since we left comitan and the houses had a comfortable and respectable appearance in one of them lived the alcalde a white man about sixty dressed in white cotton drawers and shirt outside respectable in his appearance with a stoop in his shoulders, but the expression of his face was very doubtful. With what I intended as a most captivating manner, I offered him my passport, but we had disturbed him at his siesta. He had risen wrong side first, and looking me steadily in the face, he asked me what he had to do with my passport. This I could not answer and he went on to say that he had nothing to do with it, and did not want to have. We must go to the Prefetto. Then he turned round two or three times in a circle, to show he did not care what we thought of him, and, as if conscious of what was passing in our minds, volunteered to add that complaints had been made against him before, but it was of no use. They couldn't remove him, and if they did, he did not care. This greeting at the end of our severe journey was rather discouraging. But it was important for us not to have any difficulty with this crusty official, and, endeavoring to hit a vulnerable point, told him that we wished to stop a few days to rest, and should be obliged to purchase many things. We asked him if there was any bread in the village, he answered, no I. There is none. Corn? No I. Coffee? No I. Chocolate? No I. His satisfaction seemed to increase as he was still able to answer, no I. But our unfortunate inquiries for bread roused his ire. Innocently, and without intending any offense, we betrayed our disappointment and Juan, looking out for himself, said that we could not eat tortillas. This he recurred to, repeated several times to himself, and to every newcomer said, with peculiar emphasis, they can't eat tortillas. Following it up, he said there was an oven in the place, but no flour, and the baker went away seven years before. The people there could do without bread. To change the subject and determined not to complain, I threw out the conciliatory remark that in all events we were glad to escape from the rain on the mountains, which he answered by asking if we expected anything better in palenque, and he repeated with great satisfaction an expression common in the mouths of palenqueans tres meses de agua tres meses aguacero y tres meses del norte three months rains three months heavy showers and six months north wind which in that country brings cold and rain finding it impossible to hit a weak point while the men were piling up the luggage i rode to the prefetto whose reception at that critical moment was most cheering and reviving With habitual courtesy he offered me a chair and a cigar and as soon as he saw my passport said he had been expecting me for some time this surprised me and he added that don patricio had told him i was coming which surprised me still more as i did not remember any friend of that name but soon learned that this imposing cognomen meant my friend mr patrick walker of belize this was the first notice of mr walker and captain caddy i had received since lieutenant nichols brought to guatemala the report that they had been speared by the indians they had reached palenque by the balize river and lake of peten without any other difficulties than from the badness of the roads had remained two weeks at the ruins and left for the laguna and yucatan this was most gratifying intelligence first, as it assured me of their safety, and second, as I gathered from it that there would be no impediment to our visiting the ruins. The apprehension of being met at the end of our toilsome journey, with a peremptory exclusion, had constantly disturbed us more or less, and sometimes weighed upon us like lead. We had determined to make no reference to the ruins until we had an opportunity of ascertaining our ground and up to that moment I did not know but that all our labor was bootless. To heighten my satisfaction, the Prefecto said that the place was perfectly quiet. It was in a retired nook which revolutions and political convulsions never reached. He had held his office twenty years, acknowledging as many different governments. I returned to make my report, AND IN REGARD TO THE OLD ALCALDE, IN THE LANGUAGE OF A ward MEETING MANIFESTO, DETERMINED TO ASK FOR NOTHING BUT WHAT WAS RIGHT, AND TO SUBMIT TO NOTHING THAT WAS WRONG. IN THIS SPIRIT WE MADE A BOLD STAND FOR SOME CORN. THE ALCALDE'S NO I WAS BUT TOO TRUE. THE CORN CROP HAD FAILED, AND THERE WAS AN ACTUAL FAMINE IN THE PLACE. The Indians, with accustomed improvidence, had planted barely enough for the season, and this, turning out bad, they were reduced to fruits, plantains, and roots instead of tortillas. Each white family had about enough for its own use, but none to spare. The shortness of the corn crop made everything else scarce, as they were obliged to kill their fowls and pigs from want of anything to feed them with the alcalde who with his other offences added that of being rich was the only man in the place who had any to spare and he was holding on for greater pressure at tumbala we had bought good corn at thirty ears for sixpence here with great difficulty we prevailed upon the alcalde to spare us a little at eight ears for a shilling and these were so musty and worm-eaten that the mules would hardly touch them. At first it surprised us that some enterprising capitalists did not import several dollars worth from Tumbala, but on going deeper into the matter we found that the cost of transportation would not leave much profit, and besides the course of exchange was against Palenque. A few backloads would overstock the market, for AS EVERY WHITE FAMILY WAS PROVIDED UNTIL THE NEXT CROP CAME IN, THE INDIANS WERE THE ONLY PERSONS WHO WISHED TO PURCHASE, AND THEY HAD NO MONEY TO BUY WITH. THE BRUNT OF THE FAMINE FELL UPON US, AND PARTICULARLY UPON OUR POOR MULES. FORTUNATELY, HOWEVER, THERE WAS GOOD PASTURE, AND NOT FAR OFF. WE SLIPPED THE BRIDLES AT THE DOOR AND TURNED THEM LOOSE IN THE STREETS but after making the circuit, they came back in a body and poked their heads in at the door with an imploring look for corn. Our prospects were not very brilliant. Nevertheless, we had reached Palenque, and toward evening storms came on, with terrific thunder and lightning, which made us feel but too happy that our journey was over. The house assigned to us by the alcalde was next his own, and belonged to himself. It had a cuciñera adjoining, and two Indian women, who did not dare look at us without permission from the alcalde. It had an earthen floor, three beds made of reeds, and a thatched roof, very good, except that over two of the beds it leaked. Under the peaked roof, and across the top of the mud walls, there was a floor made of poles serving as a granary for the alcalde's moldy corn, inhabited by industrious mice, which scratched, nibbled, squeaked, and sprinkled dust upon us all night. Nevertheless, we had reached Palenque and slept well. The next day was Sunday, and we hailed it as a day of rest. Heretofore, in all my travels, I had endeavored to keep it as such, BUT IN THIS COUNTRY I HAD FOUND IT IMPOSSIBLE THE PLACE WAS SO TRANQUIL AND SEEMED IN SUCH A STATE OF REPOSE THAT AS THE OLD ALCALDE PASSED THE DOOR WE VENTURED TO WISH HIM A GOOD MORNING BUT AGAIN HE HAD GOT UP WRONG AND WITHOUT ANSWERING OUR GREETING STOPPED TO TELL US THAT OUR MULES WERE MISSING AND AS THIS DID NOT DISTURB US SUFFICIENTLY HE ADDED THAT THEY WERE PROBABLY stolen but when he had got us fairly roused and on the point of setting off to look for them he said there was no danger they had only gone for water and would return of themselves the village of palenque as we learned from the prefecto, was once a place of considerable importance all the goods imported for guatemala passed through it but belize had diverted that trade and destroyed its commerce and but a few years before, more than half the population had been swept off by the cholera. Whole families had perished, and their houses were desolate and falling to ruins. The church stood at the head of the street in the center of a grassy square. On each side of the square were houses with the forest directly upon them, and, being a little elevated in the plaza, we were on a line with the tops of the trees. The largest house on the square was deserted and in ruins there were a dozen other houses occupied by white families with whom in the course of an hour's stroll i became acquainted it was but to stop before the door and i received an invitation "Pase adelante, walk in captain for which title i was indebted to the eagle on my hat each family had its hacienda in the neighborhood and in the course of an hour, I knew all that was going on in Palenque, that is, I knew that nothing was going on. At the upper end of the square, commanding this scene of quiet, was the house of an American named William Brown. It was a strange place for the abode of an American, and Mr. Brown was a regular go-ahead American. In the great lottery he had drawn a palanquian wife which in that quiet place probably saved him from dying of ennui what first took him to the country i do not know but he had an exclusive privilege to navigate the tabasco river by steam and would have made a fortune but his steamboat foundered on the second trip he then took to cutting logwood on a new plan and came very near making another fortune but something went wrong at the time of our visit he was engaged in canalling a short cut to the sea to connect two rivers near his hacienda to the astonishment of the palenchians he was always busy when he might live quietly on his hacienda in the summer and pass his winters in the village very much to our regret he was not then in the village IT WOULD HAVE BEEN INTERESTING TO MEET A COUNTRYMAN OF HIS STAMP IN THAT QUIET CORNER OF THE WORLD. THE PREFECTO WAS WELL-VERSED IN THE HISTORY OF PALENQUE. IT IS IN THE PROVINCE OF SENDALES, AND FOR A CENTURY AFTER THE CONQUEST OF CHIAPAS, IT REMAINED IN POSSESSION OF THE INDIANS. TWO CENTURIES AGO, LORENZO MUGIL, AN EMISSARY DIRECT FROM ROME, SET UP AMONG THEM THE STANDARD OF THE CROSS the indians still preserve his dress as a sacred relic but they are jealous of showing it to strangers and i could not obtain a sight of it the bell of the church too was sent from the holy city the indians submitted to the dominion of the spaniards until the year seventeen hundred when the whole province revolted and in Chion, tumbala and palenque they apostatized from christianity murdered the priests, profaned the churches, paid impious adoration to an Indian female, massacred the white men, and took the women for their wives. But as soon as the intelligence reached Guatemala, a strong force was sent against them, the revolted towns were reduced and recovered to the Catholic faith, and tranquility was restored. The right of the Indians, however, to the ownership of the soil was still recognized, and, down to the time of the Mexican independence, they received rent for land in the villages and the Milpas in the neighborhood. A short distance from Palenque, the river Chacamal separates it from the country of the unbaptized Indians, who are here called Caribs. Fifty years ago, the Padre Calderon an uncle of the prefecto's wife, attended by his sacristan, an Indian, was bathing in the river, when the latter cried out in alarm that some Caribs were looking at them, and attempted to fly. But the padre took his cane and went toward them. The Caribs fell down before him, conducted him to their huts, and gave him an invitation to return and make them a visit on a certain day. On the day appointed, the Padre went with his sacristan and found a gathering of Caribs and a great feast prepared for him. He remained with them some time and invited them in return to the village of Palenque on the day of the feat of San Domingo. A large party of these wild Indians attended, bringing with them tiger's meat, monkey's meat, and cocoa as presents. They listened to mass and beheld all the ceremonies of the church whereupon they invited the padre to come among them and teach them and they erected a hut at the place where they had first met him which he consecrated as a church and he taught his sacristan to say mass to them every sunday as the prefecto said if he had lived many of them would probably have been christianized but unfortunately he died the caribs retired into the wilderness, and not one had appeared in the village since. The ruins lie about eight miles from the village, perfectly desolate. The road was so bad that, in order to accomplish anything, it was necessary to remain there, and we had to make provision for that purpose. There were three small shops in the village, the stock of all together not worth seventy-five dollars. But in one of them we found a pound and a half of coffee, which we immediately secured. Juan communicated the gratifying intelligence that a hog was to be killed the next morning, and that he had engaged a portion of the lard. Also, that there was a cow with a calf running loose, and an arrangement might be made for keeping her up and milking her. This was promptly attended to, and all necessary arrangements were made for visiting the ruins the next day. The Indians generally knew the road, but there was only one man in the place who was able to serve as a guide on the ground, and he had on hand the business of killing and distributing the hog, by reason whereof he could not set out with us, but promised to follow. Toward evening the quiet of the village was disturbed by a crash, and on going out we found that a house had fallen down. A cloud of dust rose from it, and the ruins probably lie as they fell. The cholera had stripped it of tenants, and for several years it had been deserted. Chapter 17. Preparations for Visiting the Ruins. A Turnout. Departure. The Road. Rivers, McColl and Otula. Arrival at the Ruins the palace, the Faux de Joie, quarters in the palace, inscriptions by former visitors, the fate of Benum, discovery of the ruins of Palenque, visit of Del Rio, expedition of Dupay, drawings of the present work, first dinner at the ruins, mammoth fireflies, sleeping apartments, extent of the ruins, obstacles to exploration, suffering from mosquitoes. Early the next morning, we prepared for our move to the ruins. We had to make provision for housekeeping on a large scale. Our culinary utensils were of rude pottery, and our cups the hard shells of some round vegetables. The whole cost, perhaps, amounting to one dollar. We could not procure a water jar in the place, but the alcalde lent us one free of charge unless it should be broken and as it was cracked at the time he probably considered it sold by the way we forced ourselves upon the alcalde's affections by leaving our money with him for safe keeping we did this with great publicity in order that it might be known in the village that there was no plata at the ruins but the alcalde regarded it as a mark of special confidence indeed we could not have shown him a greater he was a suspicious old miser kept his own money in a trunk in an inner room and never left the house without locking the street door and carrying the key with him he made us pay beforehand for everything we wanted and would not have trusted us half a dollar on any account it was necessary to take with us from the village all that could contribute to our comfort, and we tried hard to get a woman, but no one would trust herself alone with us. This was a great privation. A woman was desirable, not, as the reader may suppose, for embellishment, but to make tortillas. These, to be tolerable, must be eaten the moment they are baked, but we were obliged TO MAKE AN ARRANGEMENT WITH THE ALCALDE TO SEND THEM OUT DAILY WITH THE PRODUCT OF OUR COW. OUR TURNOUT WAS EQUAL TO ANYTHING WE HAD HAD ON THE ROAD. ONE INDIAN SET OFF WITH A COWHIDE TRUNK ON HIS BACK, SUPPORTED BY A BARK STRING, AS THE GROUNDWORK OF HIS LOAD, WHILE ON EACH SIDE, HUNG BY A BARK STRING, A FOWL WRAPPED IN plantain LEAVES, THE HEAD AND TAIL ONLY BEING VISIBLE. Another had on the top of his trunk a live turkey, with its legs tied and wings expanded like a spread eagle. Another had, on each side of his load, strings of eggs, each egg being wrapped carefully in a husk of corn, and all fastened like onions on a bark string. Cooking utensils and water jar were mounted on the backs of other Indians, and contained rice, beans, sugar, chocolate, etc. Strings of pork and bunches of plantains were pendant, and Juan carried in his arms our traveling tin coffee canister filled with lard, which in that country was always in a liquid state. At half-past seven we left the village. For a short distance the road was open, but very soon we entered a forest which continued unbroken to the ruins and probably many miles beyond. The road was a mere Indian footpath, the branches of the trees beaten down and heavy with the rain, hanging so low that we were obliged to stoop constantly, and very soon our hats and coats were perfectly wet. From the thickness of the foliage the morning sun could not dry up the deluge of the night before. The ground was very muddy, broken by streams, swollen by the early rains, with gullies in which the mules floundered and stuck fast, in some places very difficult to cross. Amid all the wreck of empires, nothing ever spoke so forcibly the world's mutations as this immense forest shrouding what was once a great city. Once it had been a great highway, thronged with people who were stimulated by the same passions that give impulse to human action now, and they are all gone, their habitations buried, and no traces of them left. In two hours we reached the river Nicole, and in half an hour more that of Otula, darkened by the shade of the woods and breaking beautifully over a stony bed, Boarding this, very soon we saw masses of stones, and then a round, sculptured stone. We spurred up a sharp ascent of fragments, so steep that the mules could barely climb it, to a terrace so covered like the whole road with trees, that it was impossible to make out the form. Continuing on this terrace, we stopped at the foot of a second, when our Indians cried out, "'El Palacio!' the palace and through openings in the trees we saw the front of a large building richly ornamented with stuccoed figures on the pilasters curious and elegant trees growing close against it and their branches entering the doors in style and effect unique extraordinary and mournfully beautiful we tied our mules to the trees ascended a flight of stone steps, forced apart and thrown down by trees, and entered the palace, ranged for a few moments along the corridor and into the courtyard, and, after the first gaze of eager curiosity was over, went back to the entrance and, standing in the doorway, fired a feu de joie of four rounds each, being the last charge of our firearms. But for this way of giving vent to our satisfaction we should have made the roof of the old palace ring with a hurrah it was intended too for effect upon the indians who had probably never heard such a cannonade before and almost like their ancestors in the time of cortez regarded our weapons as instruments which spit lightning and who we knew would make such a report in the village as would keep any of their respectable friends from paying us a visit at night end of section 19